You hateful, miserable person. <laughs> um, all right. I think Kolsky's fired up to talk about the season finale of Ozark, which clearly, uh, from the tone of your voice, I can tell that you loved unreservedly. Series finale. Series finale. Where season evil finale, is yes. rewarded. It's oh. Yes. Evil was rewarded in the in the series finale of, of Ozark. I think that's fair to say. I you... I am upset, but I have to admit that a show that makes me upset for a week has done something right. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, as someone who like, what's your what's your uh, your your favorite Star Wars movie? Sorry, my favorite what? Star Wars movie. That's a good question. Pro- mm. uh, pro- probably, honestly, probably A New Hope. Although, I could have easily picked Empire or Return of the... Any of the first three. Yeah, well, I'm Empire guy. Yeah, you know what most I mean? people are Empire so- people. I get it. Yeah, sometimes I like the twist where uh, the bad guys win. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's not the end. <laughs> It's not the end, Derek. The the bad guys don't win. I don't Uh-oh, spoiler alert. In the end of Star Wars, the bad guys don't win. <laughs> it's true. But at the end of Empire, they kind of do. Um, yeah, and if this was the mid-season finale, I don't think it would have hit me as hard. But like Ruth was out, man. She was out. And that No, all right. So this is a part like if if I have any problem with the with the wine down to this season, it's Ruth. It's it's this Ruth arc. Yeah, you know what I mean? because uh, Ruth constantly right has, through this entire show right has been the person that maybe outwardly seems like a hillbilly, but who's generally two steps ahead of everybody. Right. Not only is it's, she two steps ahead of everybody, but she's the only good-hearted person that we interact with on a regular basis. I mean, maybe Jonah, I guess, too. But maybe not now. Am I right? Spoiler <laughs> alert. Like, I just... Yeah. I don't... I don't... I've been thinking about this a lot, man, because I don't... Why, why do I feel like a show has a responsibility to end things in a way that you know, for instance, does not reward pure evil for being evil. Um, I thought a lot about why that matters to me, and maybe it shouldn't. I, I, yeah, I honestly have no idea because I I didn't was not watching this show as some sort of morality play. You no, know what neither I mean? was I, but just like something about 
Like, okay, in Ruth, you have a person who is... By the way, if you've not seen the end of Ozark, you're going to want to skip ahead. But uh, yeah, in, oh, in, can, I, can I get to my start? Because we sort of veered there for my my criticism here. Okay, right? sorry. Yes, Ruth is a person that has generally seen the board two steps ahead, and yet she right like when the, when this last when this back half of the season opens, right? Your feeling is that she got the baby, right? That when she got White and Darlene's baby, and she's in the car, right? And your feeling is like she's gonna drive away with that baby. Just go. Life, right? Yes. Like, and just go. Yeah. And yet, um, not only does she come back, uh, obviously she eventually murders, you know, avenges the murder of Wyatt and Darlene by killing the uh, head of a cartel. At that point, not only does she is she not taking the steps that one would do to maybe stay off the radar of a drug cartel who really, really, really would want to kill you, she's hurtling directly towards them. And then, like the in, whole, yeah, and instead the of the whole casino plot makes no sense. None, because she still could have left after she <laughs> killed what's his face. She still could have left, and instead. Yeah. Well, she decides to build a six-bedroom, seven-bathroom house with a swimming pool. Right. And that's Why? The part, that part about it, because clearly there's another point where uh, it's Rachel, right? I always get the, the yeah. uh, Jordana Brewster's character's name wrong. Uh, where it's like, we could just go. And she, she, you know, she kind of yes. passes. Yeah. And at that point, the show's obviously telling you, like, she's determined to hurdle towards this. But if you are... Picking a fight with a murderous Mexican drug cartel. Are you really building a giant lake house? Like, yeah. and plotting out the future? Uh, that's their money. The yeah. Like, uh, uh, by yeah, the way, that. um, that's not Jordana Brewster. I, I don't know. Oh, what am I thinking of? Who Spyro. am I thinking of? Jordana Spyro is, is Jordana Spyro, excuse yeah. me. Yes. Excuse um, me. but, but yeah, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And honestly, like, what is the drug lady doing? She can't hold her tongue for five minutes while a mean lady stares in her face? Like, you're not in any danger. There's no one to tell the truth besides you. Oh, I don't know, man. I I understand why that particular character would be scared of a drug cartel lady threatening her. Particularly... In her mind, right, she's going to have to continue doing business with this person. I think that, that may even still be true. But this person uh, is going to have to continue doing business her with her as well. Like the whole I, – like, I don't know. It, it was like they they bent over backwards to murder Ruth, and I don't get it. That That's the part I really don't get. And, and right. I, honestly, I, like, uh, just to get back to the overall thing that, that bothers me, and I don't know if it's a, if, if it ought to or not. But you effectively have the Bird family that is given every advantage and starts from a place of success and successively from the very beginning of the show, and in fact before the show ever started, makes evil decision after evil decision to put themselves in dangerous positions and to turn themselves into criminals. And not just criminals – but morally bankrupt psychopaths, effectively. Um, and then to bring their kids into that same psychopathic 
world. In Ruth, you have someone who is born behind the eight ball and scratches and claws and and fundamentally is a good-hearted person trying to extricate herself from a, uh, the situation she was born into. And the fact that she meets an ugly end while the, the people who chose evil seem to thrive, I just, it doesn't sit well with me. And, and I and and well, you, I think you want a morality play because that part of it, it makes total sense to me because the, the point of this story, for the most part, right, other than what's happening within the bird family and the and the way that power uh, corrupts within the bird family, the kind of the, the breaking bad story of the bird family. Right. The other thing that you're getting out of this is and it's explicitly stated. Uh, more than once is that basically every person that they touch and come into contact, right, is is essentially chewed up and spit out and left for dead, if not flat out dead, right? Everyone who comes within the bird's web, including cartel leaders, right, <laughs> ultimately okay. pay the ultimate price. Yeah. So for for you could argue that Ruth dying. Uh, as pretty much all the Langmores did, um, as a result of being kind of mixed up in this family, right, makes a lot of sense. I mean, really, the only people coming out of this better than when they started are Rachel, who went through some hell to get there. Um, and uh, I, I don't even know the guy's name, but the guy who is sort of the fixer for Charles Wilkes. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. The, their lawyer. Yeah. yeah, no, he's doing great. But he's and been I, through some shit, too. And and <laughs> here's another thing that bothered me. And now that we're talking about it, I'm remembering all the things that upset me. Um, and, and look, I'm prepared to admit that I, I don't I don't know that I wanted a morality play. But like. I don't know, man, the kind I, I don't know. Uh, uh, let's put that aside for a second, because here's another thing that really galls me. Wendy Bird is evil. Evil, not not compromised, not confused, not in a tough situation, evil. And her kids know that. They're very well aware of it, extremely well aware. And Jonah in particular has has no patience for it, is not interested in it, does not want to be around it. But she spends one night in a mental institution and everything's forgiven and now you're killing people for her? Well, so, I mean, I think that that is – that's the essential thing of this story, right, is that it's not – I don't think it's Wendy. I don't think he did this for Wendy, right? It's You know, it's not quite like um, Jason Bateman's character, right? <laughs> Marty is – he's doing stuff for Wendy, and he kind of doesn't even know why other than the sort of morphous idea of family. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is sort of the pull for Jonah, but I honestly – I think that the point is not Wendy or family. It's the power. It's the seduction of this life that Jonah has actively been living in and participating in and having himself sucked into for the entirety of this show. But he wants nothing right? to He's do with an- her. He moved out of the house to get away from her. 
He knows yeah. she's evil. He doesn't want any part of it. He volunteers. You don't think, to, you don't think vo- the near-death experience that they had the day before, though, maybe put some of that in a different perspective? He volunteers to go with his drunk asshole grandfather to get away from her. She spends one night in a mental institution, and he's Team Bird. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't add up. Well, first of all, the you're leaving out that like uh, Ruth revealed a whole lot of uh, bad facts about the grandfather. Uh, well, I understand that, why he didn't ultimately go with the grandfather, but right. like, and there, there's a genuine mina culpa and the new and the near death experience on top of all of that. Hold on, hold on. Did you just say a genuine mea culpa? Yeah, like. How many times, like you don't, you think Wendy's speech in the mental institution, you don't eat like all about her brother and how this was all my fault, and like, did you feel that was insincere? Absolutely. Oh, I, 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 I disagree with you. I think that that's. Oh well, that, then, then that's even if it's if that was a sincere speech, it's even worse. Because what on earth, after everything she's done, what on earth would suddenly make her sincere? She killed her brother. Killed him. Yeah. Had him murdered. Yeah. But, but but her her kids threatening to go to North Carolina, all of a sudden she's, I don't, I just, I don't, this is kind of, I think it's the, more than the morality play thing or anything else. It's that the way the characters behaved in the last episode and a half seemed to me to have very little to do with the way they've behaved for four seasons. Oh, I don't know about that. I, I feel like, right, like, Wendy clearly has a lot of self-loathing, right? Like, that comes up repeatedly, right? So, like, I don't... Like, her being, uh, you know, sort of admitting guilt and responsibility and all the stuff that she tried to do to that she's been trying to do to them and controlling them and all that stuff. All right, but how many times has she... I found that totally in character with her. And particularly after... You know, like, I I do think that that the meaning that she has in the hospital with Ruth was like brought a lot to her right you know talking about their dads and uh you know all and ben and what happened and all this stuff and seeing how she really did blame herself you know like yeah i i like i bought that i thought that was sincere i think Wendy burns a monster still but i really think that you know that was that yeah i think that was legit genuine emotion and it made sense to me within that context I mean, it's the first time she's been sincere in four seasons. I don't so I just don't. But I, but I, I, I will grant you that it that that's not her uh, general mo. She but has she has made out. no less than twenty fake apologies. Fake. Yeah, like it's all <laughs> fake. Everything she does is fake, and you're all of a sudden. But I think it's different when you're talking about her family, right? I do she's think that part she has different. lied and gaslit her kids the entire series. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, she has. So what changed? Her family stuff, all that stuff with her dad. I don't know, man. I don't know. I like if that's it, she's then it feels like, like with dad, who, but, by the way, is may actually be a bigger asshole than she is. Correct, but that's that. Uh, that's really letting her off the hook. That's really letting this character off the hook, not not just from a morality perspective, but from like a character perspective. It's it's as if to say, I, oh, I see, I, like, 
oh, all that evil that she's been involved in and becoming more and more power hungry and forcing her husband to do more and more insane shit to justify her power lust. Her dad showed up and all of a sudden she's nice again. Like, I don't, it I just, don't, I, no, I, no, hold on. I, Cause I don't see it that way at all. I don't think this is, oh, she had a moment of honesty. So therefore she's nice again. No, like, like, yeah, she had a moment of honesty with her kids about the thing that she'd been lying to them about for ever since it happened, basically. And I, I think that could still be meaningful for the kids without without it making Winnie a nice person. The show is under no illusion that the birds are nice people like it repeatedly. People are telling them how awful they are throughout the entire final season. Right. Yeah. Like you you're seeing all the damage that they're doing to people. I just think that the kids join up because they are it, – it's not the, – the point of the show is not, oh, everyone's nice now, so the kids are here. It's the kids have been fully corrupted. The kids are breaking bad in this moment, and they're going with their family, right? Like this is – did you watch the, the little featurette on the you know final season? No, I was too angry. So they talked a little bit about the Kennedys um, being an inspiration for this story and how the story sort of ultimately – right, the – how these kind of uh, dynastic American families are often built on the back of ill-gotten gains. And they talked about Joe Kennedy being uh, a bootlegger in Prohibition, like one of America's foremost. And that's how he accumulated his wealth that created this sort of Kennedy clan. And so that's what they're imagining is this family that sort of uh, basically power-hungry criminal syndicate syndicate elbowing their way into legitimate society and creating some of the kind of monsters that we see in the world. I don't think the show looks at the birds as heroes in any way. They are, they are the Walter White of this show, right? So what happened to uh, Walter White at the end? Remind me. (laughs) Well, he died, but that's, Mm -hmm. but, but you, it's, you can't make that point about dynasties. If, if these guys all die, you know what well, I mean? But I don't know that they made any point about dynasty for anyone who didn't watch the featurette. And to me, like the featurette should not be critical to understanding the point of the entire show. I, I don't think, but no, it's right there in the, you guys don't get to win speech that, uh, the, uh, the PI is doing at the very end, right? Like it's all right there. It's just like, yeah, we do. People like this win all the time. Since when is what Wendy says before Jonah pulls the trigger. It's, it's yeah. literally the line of the show. Yeah, and I just don't – yeah, I like, I see your point. I'm still not sure I understand the point of the show. And maybe that's my frustration is, like, we came all this way through all this evil, and it basically just ends by saying – Yep, evil's the way. That's how we do it. Well, I don't Without... know. I don't know that's that how that's how we do it. It's how they did it. I don't think did you watch the show and, and, and feel like, man, I wish it was the birds? I, at no point, right, is that true? Uh no. I guess that's true, but again, it's not I, I don't know. I I don't know. I maybe I'm not articulating it very well, but just like none of this sits well with me. And maybe that's the point. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah. I mean, I think that sort of is some of the point, right? But is I guess, a- I guess, maybe this is what I'm saying. If you had told me four years ago, this is a show about how bad people win, and our country is built on the foundation of evil, I think I'd have passed. I mean, but like, I think I would have you know, passed. 
we've got we've got Saul in the homework for next week. Um, but are, are Saul and Breaking Bad not telling another version of that story about power corrupting people and um, the journey from a uh, mild mannered person who wants to keep their family safe into full on monster? Like that's not as far a line as we necessarily think. Like yeah, I, that's but, an interesting story to me. I, I would, I'd sign up for that. I've signed up for it twice, is what I'm saying. Actually, this makes three times. You know what I mean? And I will sign up for it again. I dare say, because I'm sure someone's going to repackage it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, and maybe I do just want a morality play. I don't know. I, but I, I don't. It just doesn't sit well. And and I mean, the other thing, if we're talking about the show writ large, right, is that it's not just about the the destination, right? It's about the, the journey and the journey was really compelling as all these people pass through their lives and have them ruined by the birds. Right. Like, sure. Like, but what, watch, what's that the, was fantastic. What's the, but what's the, what's the, when people talk about game of Thrones right now, right. What do you usually hear about? Well, I think a lot of people do watch television that way, but I, I, that's not the way I would recommend it. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't and, no, and look, we talked about this with Game of Thrones, right? I, I, I mean, it's the principal one for me. Like, I just don't I don't care that the mystery was dumb at the end because it was never about the mystery to me. Right. But most, for a lot of people, that's what it was. You know what right. I mean? And this is I and I, I hear that. And like, I'm not really saying I regret watching Ozark. Like it, it was a as you're saying, it was a tremendous ride. But. I don't it just doesn't sit well with me. It, it feels like a non it feels like a non-ending. It feels like there's important extra parts to this story. And like honestly, even if we use the example of the Kennedys, it hasn't gone great for them. No, yeah, I mean, you could I'm sure you could tell a future version of the story like you could do a uh, you know, an, an, another Ozark show. That you know on nah. what happens to these people afterward. Now. They killed Ruth. You can't do anything with this. <laughs> no one's gonna watch that. <laughs> you kidding me? The the only chances they had for spinoffs was to have Ruth do something. Uh, Nobody uh, wants to watch more of the birds being evil for evil's sake. Uh, it's not. Uh, I don't know that that's true, man. I think people like the birds. Although that said, I do feel like. Uh, this last season, I don't know if it had the same kind of buzz that the, the prior seasons did, but I don't think that's about the birds so much as as television and somewhere. Well, yeah, it's hard. Netflix. I mean, buzz is tough these days. But yeah. and look, I, I you know, again, I have to credit the show for uh, making me emote. You know, I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> ultimately, I think, I think as upset as it is, is more of an indication that it did its job than it was uh, that it was bad. You know uh, what I mean? It, I, I want to say it was it was affective, but not effective or something. Yeah, like it I, it affected me, but I don't think it worked totally. You know, it's like I I feel like um the and I got it. I I have the Wikipedia page up. Maybe I'll find this guy's name. The guy that worked for them uh, and got the gambling addiction. Yeah, you know, who you know ended up moving about? to North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Like, I feel like he's such a perfect example of kind of what this show is saying about the birds, right? Like, they 
I think the birds had genuine affection for him and they completely used him up and spit him out. He became addicted to gambling. He lost, he lost his wife. He lost his right. He lost all his stuff. Now he's when he sees him getting on this bus to North Carolina to go live with her abusive family. Yep. Right. She's like, have and fun. Just, oh yeah. I bet you're going to learn some stuff. Bye-bye. You know what I mean? And, and like, that's kind of the birds in a nutshell, right? Like, I think that she would get when he had genuine affection for him and yet oh, was willing to let this guy like fucking, you know, see, that's the thing. I, I like, to, to use the the phrase genuine affection, I think, is not correct in that context. <laughs> okay. All right. Because, again, this is an evil person. Fondness is maybe a better word. Genuine fondness, I'll say. Maybe, but I don't think this is a person who's capable of affection in, in, a, in a genuine way. She can't even be – she can't provide that to her children or her husband. She is, I think she has affection for for uh, Towns, uh, the DJ on uh, 107.2 The Hollow. That might be the only person that she has <laughs> affection for. She, she, no, she's a she's a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, she is a sociopath. Absolutely. So, like, I, I don't, I don't think there's genuine anything. I don't. I, uh, I, it. I don't know. And that, that is that again. I don't think a sociopath spends a night in a mental hospital and suddenly becomes sincere. Like it just doesn't. But I, th- I think we've, I think we've been over and through it. And yeah. and again, like as as upset as I am about a lot of things, I don't actually regret watching this show. And and we just spent twenty three minutes talking about it. So like. I, I it, they obviously they deserve credit for that if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the show had a had a great style, uh, a great look, some characters that we'll remember for uh, a long time. And you know what? Uh, I would rather. I'm glad that we're having this conversation at, at the end of the fourth and final season, as opposed to like midway through the sixth season. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, they could have showtimed it. Yeah. Um, but. Oh. I, that's. Have we used that before? That that was a biting <laughs> shot at Showtime. Just like uh, just a stray fired directly into the brain of Showtime. Uh, yet a deserved one, right? Like that. Yeah. that's the right term, I think. So. No, I knew exactly what you meant. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think they didn't, and I think I have to say, like. The fact that Wendy Bird infuriates uh, you in the way that she does is at least somewhat attributable to Laura Linney's performance as Wendy Bird, right? I, I I don't know what I don't know what else to to put it on because, yeah, I, she's I yeah, I, and I think it helps in this case that I've never been a fan of Laura Linney, <laughs> and and I don't even mean that as <clears throat> I don't think she's good, but like. I've always found her off-putting. I've always, like, something about her face. I don't think you're supposed to say women have punchable faces, but, like, whatever that emotion is that that's a punchable face in a in a dude, that's the emotion that Laura Linney has always given me. Um, 
but again, I you know that is that is a credit to her, uh, if anything. Uh, all right, <laughs> that's not where I thought you were going to be going with that, but I'll, I'll we'll take it. You don't want uh, to get too far into the punchable faces of of. I women don't of find Hollywood. the face to be punchable. Uh, but, but I'll say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it, it's different because I don't want to punch Laura Linney like I want to punch. I don't know. Uh, I don't know who's a good example of a punchable face, but uh, there's plenty of them. Yeah, and I'm not just saying that in a like, uh, oh, I don't need women. I don't, that's not even what I mean. Like, she just doesn't. I yeah, don't, no, I, I think I'm somewhat her, unique in it. You know what uh, I mean? She, but she's always given me the, the, like the soul shivers. I don't like. Yeah. It. Well, the, see, that's what I mean. I think that like, I don't know. This role is, is meant to go straight to your heart. It um, did. It did, and and that's all. All of those things are credits to this show. I, I I'm I'm not saying Ozark was terrible or don't watch Ozark. I'm just angry. Okay, fair enough. That's good. That's good. We'll take it. Um, all right, we should move to hacks. Um, which I think will probably take some less time. Uh, uh, I would say significantly less time. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think we do this a lot when we re- revisit or or return to shows that we really loved. Is say it's it's this it's the same and really good and and i i like to go to this world and i like to spend time as the third wheel with gene smart and uh the now i'm forgetting and the Einbinder. name einbinder i'm yes. yeah um i i like that they are not afraid to make ava as much of an asshole as deborah you know what i mean um and in the way that Deborah can be confrontational and manipulative, um, sometimes results in some tremendous drama. Like that scene yeah. where she's making Ava read the email to her out loud. Brutal. Just, yeah. So brutal and so personal, you know? Yeah. Um, and 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 you know I think like if you're a sort of a comedian head, um, the sort of very quick interplay between laughs and deeply painful serious things is a little more familiar to you. But it's played to great effect on this show in general. There are some really sincerely heartbreaking and upsetting moments, and they are almost colored in with some just tremendous comedy and and legitimate like out loud laughs yeah caitlin olsen doing some great work oh god uh, um, she's so fun martha kelly by the way uh just incredible <laughs> that wake <laughs> and and the fact that like she's just barbara the fact that she is barbara somehow really works for me like she is such a barbara she's, she is definitely a barbara and i look i like that we're seeing a little bit more the the paul w towns and talent a- agency angle of like this and i yeah and i don't know i just like that ava as a character can be a generally well-meaning person but at the same time so self-centered um and impetuous as if to be toxic to most of the people around her. You know yes. what I mean? And, and I think you can see how Jean Smart, you know, Deborah sees herself in Ava, right? Yeah. That, you know, you could see someone like Ava with great success growing up to be someone like Deborah. 
Um, and it, it uh, you know, the way they hurt each other is both funny and I think sincerely, emotionally interesting. Yep. Agreed. And I, I think the show will continue to be interesting. <laughs> that's that's my that's my way out of the lip prediction. Yeah, um, they, they know what they're they know what they're doing. Um and uh you know, I don't know if we'll quite hit some of the heights of season one, but I think that's sort sort of the, the nature of season twos, man. Sophomore yep. albums, if you will. Yeah. Um speaking of albums, we listened to two of those uh in the homework this week. Um which would you like to hit first? Uh let's do the smile first, because I think it's a little less complicated. <laughs> um, you know, do you like Radiohead? Yep. <laughs> I think it's, it's the question with the smile. I should have said uh, a lot less complicated. Um, yeah. It's very Radiohead-y. I, I will say, and I said this last week based on, you know, having seen the live show before listening to the album seven times as I did this week. Uh, Tom Skinner, the drummer, is, and this is with truly no disrespect meant to any of the drummers that Radiohead has employed, Tom Skinner is the best drummer that I have heard Tom York and Johnny Greenwood play with. Straight fired at Phil Selway. I love Phil Selway. <laughs> you know? Ad dog. It, I, I, I'm not. I, I'm. I am. I. I truly do not mean that in a dismissive way. But Tom Skinner is something different special. kind of drummer. Different kind of drummer. Yeah. Yeah. He's different, but he is. He's deeply special. Like the, the way some of the rhythms work together. I mean, like any Radiohead album, there's a lot of weird polyrhythms and and interesting stuff going on. But the way he plays off of the guitars is just unbelievable to me. He's. Uh, I'm. I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with the drumming on this record um, in both the like, you know, what passes as a rocker for Tom York these days uh, and in the ballads, like just the way percussion is utilized on this record blows my mind as someone who played the drums for a lot of his life. Um, oh, so you're going to go check out Sons of Comet. I already is... have. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> that stuff go. is way out there, by the way. Uh, that surprised me. But. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I I'm obsessed with the drumming. But in general, this is a it it has a it has an in rainbows sort of vibe. Um, if if you're looking for a Radiohead reference, and I think it's really really good music. It is really really good. Uh, this record reminds me a little bit of this Arsenal season, um, which for them was a very good season and a lot of progress. Uh, and occasionally hit heights to the point where you thought maybe they were going to qualify for the Champions League two weeks ago. Yeah. And it, they didn't quite get there. And uh-huh. the, I guess season's not over. They could still technically qualify on Sunday, but it's it's not looking likely. Um, it, it, and the reason that they didn't get there is because the consistency of reaching those heights, mm-hmm. uh, like you see a lot of times with a team with young players, um, it, it's it's not quite there. But there are definitely moments on this record um, that are full on Radiohead good. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, they're just yep. They're they're just not all the time. <laughs> if that makes sense. Do you have anything specific um, in mind and, when you say that? Uh, in terms of moments, or yeah. in terms songs, of um, I yeah, I mean there there are some tremendous songs. Yeah. Um, the smoke is one know, that record. really 
I loved. Um, of, of the titles. Yeah, it's hard. But in general, uh, <laughs> the for me, the upbeat stuff works a little better than the ballads in general. But uh, I don't know, man. I I think you're right. It's It might not be Champions League if we're grading on a Radiohead scale, but that's a pretty tough scale. Yeah, this the the smoke is great. You will never work in television again. Yep. Uh, is really good. Uh, thin thing I like a lot. Uh, 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 skirting on the surface I think is a really good song. The opposite's pretty good. Yeah, and it, look, it, it also it's also nice just to hear uh, Johnny Greenwood ripping a guitar again. That's you know what I, what I mean? Like say. you has been a lot of that. And, uh, you know, well, and and uh, Tom York getting his yell on again. Like there's just there is some. Again, if you're a Radiohead fan, like this is going to press some buttons in a very good way. Yeah, agree, agree. Uh, all right, on to Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was going to describe this record in one word, is I don't know, it's hard. It's a singular would be the word, man. I just think there's there's nobody quite like this dude, and. Even when it, even when things don't totally work, I, I'm just so here to watch him experiment. Um, and I loved how emotional and and personal this new Kendrick record is. You're yeah. just thinking about things that you don't think of in a hip hop record. I, I love how he can do a track that's basically like solo piano for beats mm-hmm. and it's awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? I love that it, the record made me uncomfortable at several points. Um, and I just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just here for it. I don't, I don't know if this is, if you call this his emo record, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, I really enjoyed it and I'm going to be listening to this one for a while, I think. Um, so I agree with all of that. Just, just for the record. Um, and and I think to add on to what you're saying specifically, I would say the, the, the note I would drill in on is the personal part. Um, you know, the early Kendrick, we can just put to the side for now, but, but you know, beginning with Good Kid, Mad City, where he really exploded. Um, that album is personal but very like allegorically personal if you will um and and certainly it it reflects things he he was talking about himself in many ways but obliquely more often than not uh to pimp a butterfly is a brilliant work of art about america i think more so than about Kendrick Lamar and damn and I don't know maybe I'm selling damn short because obviously it's an incredible album that uh garnered many achievements um but it always felt more to me just to be sort of just a hip-hop record if you will um less broadly conceptual and you know uh less of a piece of art than just a good uh, great collection of hip-hop songs does that all track more or less yeah yeah so i guess what i'm getting to is this album is very plainly kendrick talking about himself 
and his family and specifically what he has been through and thought about for the last two or three years. And I think yeah. it that's 1800 days. I think did he say at the beginning at the very beginning. So more than uh, in fact, than uh, than two or three years. But but the point is, I think it might be 800, which would make more oh, sense. Yeah, anyway, would... whatever it is, it, it, look, he that in in a way is is incredible and and different and to your point singular um and deeply deeply personal i think when you are and admittedly so a, someone trying to learn about certain things in the world to do better if you open yourself up in this way to to express parts of yourself that are still works in progress you're going to inevitably step in shit here and there and i i think undoubtedly he has done that um certainly the the one way that i have seen i don't know about the most but maybe the most uh I don't want to say angry because I, I I have not – it's not the – the people who feel the most disrespected with consistency here seem to be trans people. Um, and I have read and heard a couple of trans uh, people describing why. Um, and I think there's an interesting conversation to be had. Now, listen, I am not – I want to reiterate here that I agree with every single positive thing you said about Kendrick and this album at the beginning of this discussion, because I'm not, he has every right to go through this stuff on the, on an album. If, if that's what he wants to do. And I think he, he is fully aware. Like he talks about not being finished figuring stuff out and and working through stuff right like it's he's not purporting to be anything other than what he is um that being said while it's certainly well within his rights and and i think an artistically valid choice he has produced at least one song that i think we could argue whether it was wise to go through it publicly in the way he did in the middle of figuring it out instead of at the end. Does that make sense? Maybe I'm dancing around the issue more than I should, but I don't know how much you've seen of the, the, the trans reaction to auntie diaries. Yeah. You know, I just not, (sighs) this is tough because again, just not super interested in talking about that. Um, and I, I, and I, I, I I understand how someone could be offended by it, particularly divorced from the context of the record, the rest of the record. Um, but I think this is someone who is about working through trauma and trying to understand. I mean, that's literally what the song is about. It is, and I, and I and I, I I don't know if we should be expecting perfection. In in the in the language or using 
terms about talking about dead naming or misgendering and stuff like that when just the song is about trying trying to come through some of that stuff and trying to wrap your arms around some of that stuff at the same time look i'm not going to tell people uh who are in situations that i haven't been in and aren't in how how to feel so i'm not that's it's kind of why i'm just not that interested in that criticism and and if it's that's the way someone feels about it. I'm not going to tell them not to feel that way, but I just, uh, it, it, to me, it, I, I think that you're you're missing some context or or overly being a little overly literal if that's if that's the issue. Well, okay, but lo- so let me make this point because uh, I don't. This has nothing to do with the reaction, and it's entirely internal within that one song. Okay, because um, it's something that. <laughs> I thought of when I read the lyrics, because um, I yeah, I mean that's definitely one of the songs I was talking about when I'm like it gets uncomfortable at times. It's super uncomfortable, um, and I and and there's you know the 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 song where he and uh, Taylor Page are yelling at each other it gets incredibly uncomfortable. Absolutely. Uh, um, the difference being like <laughs> there's a woman involved in that song, and and I don't know. Uh, she seems to have had her perspective uh, well considered and, and honored. And I guess there's here, giving, giving and taking in that song. <laughs> there sure is. Here, here would be here would be my uh, point to you about Auntie Diaries. Um, the mic drop of Auntie Diaries essentially is, you know, go ahead and say these things about a trans person if you want, whether it's dead naming or, you know, the F word or what have you. As long as you're willing to let a white girl say the N word. And his point seems to be, no, I'm not. And I don't want to do that. And yet, the song is filled with the F word and dead naming and and so on and so forth, right? So I guess I wonder how well that lesson has been learned because I don't think you would give that white girl the same latitude artistic though it may be to just at one point for no particular reason, repeat the slur back to back to back. Um, And again, it's not that I don't understand the point that he's making. I, I exactly Understand. Like, yeah, this is how I was in middle school. And it's uh-huh. not cool. That's let, the point uh, the song is making, right? Okay, it's but not- let, let me make a point to you. I have often, in in discussions about these sorts of issues with my friends who grew up in California, I have often made the point that I literally, nobody told me, and it's, this is not an excuse, I, I'm just making a point about cultural differences. I was born in 1981. The first time in Chicago, you know, the Chicagoland area growing up in the Midwest, the first time someone told me not to say the F word, I was a teenager. Like, it didn't even, I mean, we, you know, (laughs) it didn't even occur to me that that word was hurtful to a community until high school. Yeah, it was just. Just kind of like generic insult when it's we were just under. a generic insult we said, yeah. Yeah. and and I'm not excusing it. I'm just making the point that like my friends who grew up in California knew by the time they were conscious 
of of things they were saying that that was a slur, right? So, I, you know, I get it. But when I tell that story, I say the F word. I don't say the word. Yeah, I guess. But this is like, I don't because know. Because I to learned me, the lesson. I, I, to me, I feel like this is a... Uh, when you're talking about coming out of... It's, it's a song about coming out of ignorance. Well, right. And I, and I want to be clear that what I am... What I, what I'm doing right now is not saying screw Kendrick or how dare he or anything like that. I, I'm I'm interested in a conversation about that artistic choice because I do believe it was an artistic choice. Yeah, sure. I just I don't know. I think I think the conversation of that is outsized uh, for what for for its place in the record um, because some people's feelings are hurt and that then that needs to be acknowledged. You know what I mean? And I and I. I don't know. It's it, it, these sorts of conversations about language and 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 learning and um, forgiveness, um, you know, are, are are sort of strewn throughout our culture. Yeah, and it's point. a double I, it's a double edged sword, as as we well know, because you know there is there is how do you want to be treated, and then there is what is the practical reality of how to make things better. Um, and, and I don't think there's much doubt that Kendrick's long-term project is to, to the good, right? I mean, he is he is working towards trying to make things better. Uh, uh, very clearly, the song Auntie Diaries is about growth and learning and trying to be better. So, um, again, I, I, I want to reiterate, I like this album very much, and I love Kendrick, and I think he's doing good things. Um but I, I also think those are, you know, at least valid critiques in terms of, like, you know, uh, artistic criticism to talk about, if not particularly large-scale critiques in terms of you deserve criticism for doing something wrong. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's fine. I, I just, and like I said, if, if, that, if, if that's what you took from it, I, like, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that's wrong. I just, I, I don't know. Well, but it doesn't have to be what you took from it for it to be something worthy of discussion and potentially uh, something that could have been done differently or better, right? Yeah, sure. I just, uh, yeah, okay. Um, I didn't want to make it a downer because I think, yeah. you know, that's one song. And yeah, this, and I think it's a very specific. My point, I, I guess, is rather that this is a very specific strain of criticism, and I, I you know, I think we're, if we're talking, it, it, a little bit of it is tone policing. You know what I mean? And I just don't think that's. It's not that it's unworthy. I just don't know that the most interesting thing we can say about this in in, in this format. If that makes no, sense. You're probably right. I, I I think in general, the 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 bigger point is that and and he talks about this on the record, right? He's he it took a long time to follow up Dam because he didn't feel like he had anything to say. And he didn't know what to talk about. And ultimately what he arrived on was you know the fact that I I have already made the albums about my childhood and America and how I became the person I am. Like, 
I, I can still write about my current experience and my current experience is becoming a father and working on myself and trying to be better for future generations and trying to understand the world in a more compassionate way. And that's all beautiful, man. It's beautiful that he turned inward and shared that growth with the world. Yeah. And look, and I, I, you know, from my music industry perspective, I look at this as a guy who, uh, you know, was a hugely popular artist with a lot to lose, you know what I mean? Who could really, if he wanted to make, you know, uh, R and B hook laden bangers in his sleep, that would be probably pretty top popular on all over top 40 radio, but isn't going to do that. And instead waits until he has something authentic and personal to say, makes a double album of just really raw personal stuff. Um, and, uh, I just think that that's a, a really interesting choice. And there, by the way, there's plenty of stuff he says on this that I don't necessarily agree with personally. Oh, sure. Uh, but I, but I, I, I think that it's interesting to hear this voice and obviously, you, you know, his his flow and uh, expression and, and uh, cadence is just just so on point all the time that it's um, I don't well, know. I, it, yeah. I, it's just a really interesting record. And that gets back to the uniqueness that we, that we talked about at the beginning of this conversation. Like he's as singular as any artist in the history of music. Just yeah. just fundamentally. Nobody sounds like Kendrick. No one can do the thing that he does, period, ever. And, you know, that's that's not the longest list in the history of, of the world of music. You know what I mean? Like, that list is, you know, under 50 people in, in the world's history. So Plus, he got Florence on a hip-hop record. I've been waiting for that to happen, so... <laughs> um. So yeah, we did. She check, really check came out. back, huh? She's really back on the scene. <laughs> I I just need her EDM record now, and I'm, I'm ready to roll. Um, Can't right. you just like take any of the like, just grab the vocal tracks from any record she's done and throw a, throw a EDM beat behind it? I'm sure you could. Yeah, if I had the stems, I probably would do that. No. Um, like, where's Jamie right. XX when you need him? <laughs> Let's talk about the challenge of Top Chef because we we've been going for a while now. So all right. Uh, so uh, and there's so right. much to do here. We're gonna have a two-hour fucking podcast. <laughs> so I, was like, I was like, "Sorry, trans community, I got challenged to get to." Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. The alliances are forming on the challenge. Fair enough. We we got it. We got the treehouse. Uh, we got whatever MJ and uh, uh, Joanna are doing. John A, you mean? That's the thing, Thanks. dude. But you just you just you just hit on the key point. The, uh, the alliance are forming the singular yeah. alliance and everyone else is like ones and twos being like, Oh boy, that yeah. room has seven people. <laughs> Why is that one room so big? I don't understand. <laughs> is it a literal treehouse? <laughs> also like, do they have the power of witchery because everyone else is getting hurt? Yeah, that that part of it is uh, is a little crazy. <laughs> and and like, yeah, I don't want to say it while we're laughing because you know I hope everything's fine with Jimmy's family. But just like, you lost two women, three women to non-elimination situations over the course of a two-week period. Like, 
that they got to bring in a replacement. So that's part of what we got to talk about. Who who do you think's come? You saw the next week on, right? Yes. Yeah. So who's in that ATV? Who's coming? Oh man, I I here's the thing: is I don't know. I'm not sure I have any idea, but I'm pretty sure that, that information is available. Well, yeah, but we, it, but like the information's <laughs> always available, dude, and we play the game of not looking for it, right? I mean, I never look for the information. I don't want to know. I want to be surprised, so we can still talk so, about it, can't we? I mean, it could, yeah, sure, we can definitely talk about it. And like I said, I don't know who it is. So, um, I mean, who's uh, on the list? What if it's Laurel? Laurel would be amazing. Uh, but that's I, the dream, right? I mean, that would be my number. I uh, Laurel Jody is on my short list of people I'd be very excited about. So we know that the show casts alternates, right? Like they, you know, they come into a season with their group, and then they have a couple waiting in the wings. And so if you have Laurel, you know, unless there's some sort of crazy scheduling conflict that she just couldn't be in the regular cast, you're going to put her in the regular cast. Right. So I guess, but that you'd say that about almost any good replacement, right? Then you're saying the replacement's going to be shit. <laughs> yes. And, and I will say it sure as hell seems like bananas is going to be a replacement later in the season from what we've seen already. Right. So, um, he may have had that kind of special arrangement that I was, uh, talking about, you know what right. I mean? But I don't, like I said, I don't think they I don't think they're going to be bringing in like a super duper heavyweight. I think it's just going to be. I want it so badly to be Laurel. Literally, no pun intended, replacement level uh, (laughs) cast. All right, fine. Well, all right, way to pour some water on that fire for me. (laughs) Like, I feel like, like, like Beth might be a good example of of the kind of person it would be. Oh, God, I hope it's not Beth. I've had my fill of Beth for for time (laughs) immemorial. Uh, Let's talk about Cyrus. Um while we're on the topic of elimination, because once again, there was only one and it was, it was the dudes. Uh, Do you understand what happened in that elimination? I was meaning to ask you, was that elimination close or was it just shot to look close? I mean, here's like, okay. What looked like what happened Is MJ, I mean, clearly MJ opened the thing, like got the the sandbags into the hanging bucket at a faster rate, opened up the wall he had to hammer through before Cyrus by a a reasonably significant margin. And then he started like tapping the hammer around the edges of the wall instead of just blasting through the center. Which made no sense to me. For a contractor, no less. (laughs) Right. And then maybe Cyrus just blasts through the center of the wall. And it's like, oh my god, Cyrus is going to win. But then he didn't go out. You know? He just just kept hammering around the edges when there seemed like there was space. And ultimately... Then MJ started hammering the middle and knocked it out and, and rang the bell. And it, it it did seem close, legitimately. And and they I listened to the podcast with Cyrus on it. And the way they discussed it, like, made it sound close. But I, it doesn't... It looked, 
it was maybe some editing tricks because it's like it looks like it's sort of neck and neck and close and you're seeing mj and you're going why is he going like this and then mj's ringing the bell and he's up there by himself you know what i mean like there's right. no one else in that picture so um and maybe cyrus like fell over when he was climbing through the wall like it was just it was it was edited it, in a weird way you show that? don't you show that if he falls if like they're coming well, they out did. The and one guy falls they very briefly showed him fall but Again, MJ was not in that picture, so I guess that could have been edited back in. Like, I just don't know. It it was it 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 was a <laughs> it was not. I mean, it was an interesting elimination, nevertheless. But it, it was it was kind of weird because it was hard to tell what was going on. Yeah, but second weekend in a row, uh, or second week in a row rather, where we don't really we don't have two eliminations. Yeah, <laughs> and and some of the drama sucked out kind of by that. I was thinking about that honestly, like during the deliberations, you know, when they're talking about the, I'm like, I don't think any of these girls are going to have to go in the way that people keep dropping out of this thing. Um, yeah. And usually that's the sort of thing that they would discuss at the like elimination conversation. So I wonder if that was also edited out, you know, yeah, that they were could, presuming there would not be a girl's elimination. And, and I, I wonder how much that affected their choices, but I mean, it, they weren't weird choices anyway. So, yeah. I mean, I think between the injuries and the, um, uh, you know, parents getting sick, <laughs> like, this, is, this show definitely has old people problems that they're dealing with. You can tell these are people with responsibilities who are on vacation for a few weeks. You know what I mean? Um, yep. Can we talk about Kendall real quick? Yeah. This is Kendall's third season of All-Stars. There have been three seasons of All-Stars. Kendall's been on all of them. I don't understand how she's coming into the show like not mentally prepared to strategize. It almost feels like more than that, doesn't it? It's it's not just not ready to strategize. It's like unwilling to strategize, uninterested in strategizing, and just generally like not that happy to be there. Like, yeah, I don't, I mean, cause like you, you could play the nice person game, you right. know what I mean? And sort of nice your way out of those sabotages without it just being random like that. And like creating enemies and stuff. It was just weird. Well, that's the thing about it, about the decision to sabotage MJ is like the, it wasn't just a, like a dirty move or anything like that. It was just dumb. It just made no sense, right? Like, there was no... It's not like some of the house was upset because she turned on them and made a smart strategic move for some other angle or anything like that. It was just like, in the moment, she used stupid reasons to pick a person that benefited her zero. Yeah, it's basically just a dumb process of elimination. Right. I don't... Um, and, and the fact that you're... but But again, it's not like... She's too stupid to understand the strategy, right? In the ITM, she's like, yeah, I mean, I guess I could have just burned it on Jordan. But, uh, you know, I just started thinking about like she's like over analyzing her own anxiety over offending people in order to make bad choices. It's 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 yeah. goofy. And she doesn't and seem she literally volunteer. <laughs> right. And, and she also just like like. All she talks about is how much she hates doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. And she's and, not, she's not the only cast member talking about being uncomfortable in that position, and I get that. But yeah. like, you're playing a game. You know what I mean? And I don't. Right. Like I, I'm a little bit annoyed in general with the with the Kellyanne and Kendall. Like, wow, people, the new people are really playing cutthroat. It's like, yeah, they're trying to win the game. Right. <laughs> Guys, have been doing this for three seasons. Come, come and knock on my door. Let's go. You and, know? Yeah. And and, the, and like with Kellyanne too, it's just I you know maybe the payday is really good and they don't feel like they can turn it down or whatever, but part of me just wants to be like, you know, nobody is forcing you to do this at gunpoint. Well, I think you got the answer and there was a like a mini plug for their yoga business. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I think you got the answer why they're here. I guess, but if you're here for a yoga business commercial, like I don't think I don't know. Maybe I'm underestimating challenge. I thought it was pretty good from the yoga business commercial front. <laughs> I mean, they did some cool oh, stuff. Yeah. But some like, cool <laughs> it's a lot to go through. You know, <laughs> doesn't seem like a lot. I agree. Like I you agree. could just post it on YouTube and share it with your social media following and probably have the same effect. I, I don't. So, so like if it's, if it's breaking your mental health down so much to make these decisions that you're not only, upset but also making terrible decisions like go home and relax all right i got one more question for you are the old heads getting picked off strategically one by one no also like besides a couple of the women competitors who are the young heads <laughs> You're right. It, it's mostly a couple of women competitors. Like, is Brad a young person? No. Are Brad and Wes young people? No. What, no. Like, Nehemiah, yeah, I guess. Is Nehemiah a young person? I, I mean, Nehemiah's Wes's age, I think. All those guys are younger than Mark Long, but, I, I, but you, and, younger than Mark you Long. and me are younger than Mark Long. What are we talking about here? Like, I, I don't. All these people, besides arguably Kayla and. Uh, God. She doesn't really deserve her name, remember, but is it Sophia? Sylvia? Sylvia, thank you. Yeah. Jesus. Uh who who like is honestly the one person who totally does not belong here and is constantly, you know, telling us how much she belongs because she must know she doesn't belong. Um <laughs> Hey, she's a finalist. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh <laughs> so Anyway, I, I don't – and they're not – I mean, Kayla actually is a threat. So that part of it is interesting. But this framing like, of I like, like – uh, Naya's on the younger side too. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. Uh, no, yeah, I mean – And Kayla, I like – Kayla's the one who's like just openly, you know, making fun of how old everyone is. Which and I love that for her. I truly do. <laughs> I'm, I'm truly impressed with Kayla on this season. I think she's been great and strategic and locked in. Um – but like this, this construction of olds versus youngs is a little goofy, and I mean Wes and Kellyanne dated on this show for God's sakes. Like, God, I forgot that. Let's not pretend uh, they're not the same age. <laughs> <laughs> completely forgot that. Must have just uh, mind erased that one. Um, I, but Cyrus certainly seemed to be targeted. Right. Well, okay, um, but is that an age let, thing? Latarian's gone. They but, threw Mark in. You know, Mark. Who? No one's throwing Mark in. They threw Mark in. Okay, but who's they? 
I don't know. <laughs> I think the tricky Great thing point. for Mark is like he doesn't have a lot of people. Mark is like third on everyone's list. So when they all protected one guy and one girl, he doesn't get protected and he became the least offensive option. You know, I didn't feel like they targeted Mark. Now, maybe I am underestimating Kayla. And believe me, I am relative to her history on the show, giving her a lot of credit because I, I like the way that she's moving. But I, I, it's possible I'm underestimating her and she is secretly orchestrating the early exit of the olds. But I don't know that there are enough people to support a broad movement of that. And like uh, Wes, who is inevitably, you know, as strategic as anyone on this show is making very personal decisions in terms of who he would like to see gone. Right. Yeah. So if, if there's a target on old people just for being old, I'm not sure who is aiming that gun other than Kayla. Um, and I, and, and I guess, I guess, having mark eliminate latarian was an effective way for to avoid someone else having to deal with the beast that is latarian um but also i think it was just an opportunity to put two strong guys against each other right and i don't think yeah. any i don't think like there's going to be a single guy who goes into an elimination and is like give me mark But there's no layups left in the, in, on the guy's side, so it's going to be interesting. So Yeah, and other than Sylvia, I'm not sure there are any on the girl's side either. I mean, Kendall may be weird and uncomfortable, but I don't think she's a layup when you get her in, in an elimination. Depends on the event with Veronica, I think. Veronica's gone, dude. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I mean, the layups may not have been eliminated necessarily, but they have left. Jemmy's gone as well. Yeah, fair enough. Fair I mean, enough. it's a lot of very strong, very capable women. And, and like you said, the men, like, you now have a list of people on the men's side who probably would have come up if we had just started having a conversation independently about the best players in challenge history, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good group. It's a good group. I'm hoping, and if we throw bananas into it, it, it could be a very good group. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And so now, we'll I think one question, too, is, like, if Bananas is uh, – look, we've seen his face, right? So he's he's going to be involved. Is it as, like, a mercenary? Is it as a, an injury replacement? Is there a twist in this game of, like, we've had all the final participants. Now we have the top champions. And then it's CT and, and Johnny and Laurel and whoever. Like – there's a lot of possibility here. Yeah, my uh, my money's on injury replacement, but it definitely could be any of those things. The way the way this season's been going. Yep. So, um, all right, uh, you want to talk about Top Chef real quick, or do you have more on the challenge? No, I think we we uh, whether we have more or not, we have to move on. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. I feel like much like the, the challenge this week, though, this was another week where. We basically had a pretty non-suspenseful elimination that they had to sort of make look suspenseful. Does that that make sense? Uh, I actually don't even think they tried very hard to make it <laughs> look suspense. I, I mean, 
and I, not in a funny way. Like I, with all due respect to everyone involved, it was obvious from the way that, and, and like they could, they would have had to cut the entire dinner scene differently. And it's clear that nothing was said that could have allowed them to pull the wool over our eyes because of like Nick just puked on himself, metaphorically speaking. There was no almost puked on that plate metaphor. I mean, speaking. there was no polishing that. And and I feel terrible because look, we've talked about Nick all season and his highs are as high as anyone's. And he has not had a total fart of a day. And he had it at the worst fucking possible time, man. And yeah, I, I felt mean- just terrible for him. Um, and, and, and like, I thought it would like the relationship with him and Damar is beautiful and, DeMar didn't have the best day either, but it was clear that, like, DeMar did enough good things. I mean, he just he put enough good things on those plates that it wasn't close. Right. You could tell from the moment that plate came out and they showed that look on Tom's face. Yeah. That unless he was going to be like, well, this looks disgusting, but it tastes amazing. You know what I mean? Um, he you was going to tell from the <laughs> from the moment Nick was cooking the alleged fish cakes right he realized oh god the show does right like think about buddha right like yeah the show really made you think buddha was in trouble there for a minute then of course he comes out with an amazing plate of buddha food yeah but i gotta say as panicked as buddha was buddha was as panicked as we've ever seen him right but as panicked as he was you didn't look at the food and go "Uh uh-oh and you looked at nick's food and went oh no yeah. And then on top of that, he didn't finish the taco, so it was dry and had no herbs. And like it just yeah. it was obvious. Um when you, I mean, look, and when you're coming out there and saying I ran out of time, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like Demar's dish had some problems, but yes. like it wasn't gonna be those kind of problems. You know what I mean? So Correct. Demar uh, was in serious trouble on a normal week. Yeah, like if he did that next week, he would have gone home, I think. Yes. Uh, and, I, and I would say shout out to Sarah, yeah. because when she said, I'm hoping my dish tastes like a smoked pastrami sandwich, I was like, oh, <laughs> like I had almost the same reaction to Nick's struggles in the kitchen. And she did exactly that. Yeah. And you know it what? was incredibly successful. Like props to her, man. That was dope. Both Sarah and us last week talked about how she had to somehow find a way to harness the spontaneity and quick thinking that helped her thrive in Last Chance Kitchen and apply it to the actual challenge. And she did it. Yep. She took her instinct, her crazy experimental instinct, and just went all the way in on it and knocked it out of the park. And and that's why I would say, like, as... Crushing as Nick's week was to watch, I think the right four chefs are in the final, and I'm excited about it. Really yeah. as excited as, as I can remember being for a mm. top I mean, chef I, final. Look, I think whoever, whether it was Nick or Sarah, who was kind of the fourth of this group, I think they would, they're going to have an uphill battle in that. They, or they would have an uphill battle in this next episode. But uh, Sarah getting a win going into it, I think, changes the dynamic a little bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I think you got to take her seriously. Obviously, she's on a, you know, kind of a streak, right, between this and Last Chance Kitchen. And 
you know, I think Nick, like as you said, uh, can and did have his head held up high on the way out of here. Like he just, yeah. I think he's a lot this season. <laughs> I think he's going to sell a shitload of seasoning if he wants. He <laughs> he sold a bottle to to my household along with a Nick Wallace culinary T-shirt. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Yep. And you know, I think that um, I was really happy that the show kind of gave us the moment with him and Demar, sort of. Yes. Appreciating what each other have meant to them in this experience. What a beautiful thing. Uh, what a yeah, truly, it, truly beautiful thing. And, and the way kind of DeMar put it about so much said and so much that we can leave unsaid. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Was was really nice too, you know. So Yeah. I and and it it also just brought home once again. I I feel like this has been a unique season in Top Chef history in terms of the overall likability of the cast and the overall togetherness of the cast. And maybe that is, maybe I have changed more than Top Chef. I don't know. (laughs) But like, it really feels that way to me strongly that this is a like kinder, gentler season in some ways. And it, it, it really hits for me. Yeah, well, you know, and you, you look at a show like The Challenge where, you know, a lot of these contestants have been on many, many, many seasons together. They have deep relationships inside and outside of the show. But, like, it can't produce the kind, those kind of moments. Like, Top Chef is the only reality show that I, where I feel like the respect for the competitors runs so deep that you get these kind of, like, just sincere, wholesome bonding moments of appreciation like that just make, like you're never getting that kind of those kind of feels on the challenge as much as i love that show you know it's just different well so. yeah and i think part of it is that like even though you can have those sorts of relationships in a way like a they're competing against each other and and maybe more importantly like you also know that, like, if they turn around and look at the other person, they might have a fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just there's too much volatility between the entirety of the contestants. And the chances that you'd ever narrow it down to a group that entirely respects each other are basically nil. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's you know what I mean? Like, that's... look, Wes respects some people. But you can't get too far without him disrespecting somebody else, right? I mean, that's right. the thing. Yep. And we've reached a no disrespect portion of this of Top Chef for sure at this point. Like, no, no, he's gonna have a snide remark about anybody else's cooking. No, uh, and just and by the way, I feel the same way about all of this cooking that I've never tasted and and desperately want to. It just everyone left, and really everyone who's been left for a while has been so wonderful in so many ways. Uh, it's been a real joy. It's been a joyous season to watch. Well, and the show is not afraid to tell us that everybody knocks out of the park next week. So it'll be interesting to see who who, uh, who winds up moving on. Um, I mean, it's, it's the, you know, crescendo you're looking for in the final couple episodes. I, probably, what, two or three left at this point? Yeah. Uh, while we're here and talking about the final episodes and the crescendo... Just gonna throw this out there. Tucson? Uh that's the exact reaction that my house had as well. Um <laughs> and then I looked into what exactly a UNESCO World Heritage Gastronomy site is. Uh did you happen to do that? 
I did. I did not. I mean, I, I had some. I, there were things I can imagine for why it might win such a thing, for sure. What are they? Just that you, you've got this sort of unique um, cultural heritage there, right? With like right. Latin flavors and things like that. Where uh, uh, I think it's it's going to be not only Latin but indigenous. So oh, interesting. Okay, the focus. I don't know if I that look. I don't know much about UNESCO. I've read some Wikipedia. You know what I mean, but. The UNESCO, the whole deal is sort of about, you know, indigenous heritage and relationship with the the land and the the long history of the people who have uh, <sighs> resided in it. Um, so it's not like a Michelin star is what you're saying. It's different than a Michelin star. Um, although it requires, you know, very high level food scene as well. So I imagine Tucson has a food scene that you and I probably have not uh, fully engaged with before. Um, although I have been to Tucson many times. It's been a while. Uh, I have not, I've not been to Tucson, but my you, grandparents you know. lived there for a time, but you know, that was a grandparents live. Yeah. It's been a decade um, since, since that. So uh, I'm, I'm sure you the food scene has changed. Phoenix as a great food city, right? So it's like, and like you're thinking Tucson's going to be like Phoenix is sort of little brother, right? So it's well, uh, but the th- but but isn't that almost like I'm trying to think of the right, uh, you know, like that that is not necessarily how food scenes work, right? I mean. You think of yeah, Tucson sure. as Phoenix's little brother because it's like uh, a couple hours away and small, but it's like food scenes are not always in the biggest cities, right? Like, I mean, Portland is by no means Seattle's little brother when it comes to a food scene. Yeah, no, that's fair. So, that's like, fair. I, it's not necessarily about the size of the city. And again, yeah. I think it's what'll be interesting is it's going to be about th- there's going to be some relationship to the indigenous uh, community. Um, yeah, and I, I that should be really interesting, man. Just gonna put it out there that Top Chef's gonna now go to Kentucky and Tucson, but not Atlanta. Just gonna throw that out there one more time. Um, I mean, it's, it's not great, dude. That's not, yeah. I, I, I like. I wish I had something I could say to you to to somehow justify or or ameliorate the uh, insult of that, but I don't know what to say. It, it's borderline nonsensical at this point. <laughs> Obviously, like you know, Chicago was. Uh, uh, well represented in Top Chef history, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't have any similar complaints. As is lots of Atlanta, lots of Atlanta chefs, they just won't go there, despite the fact that literally all television and movies are now made in Atlanta. I, I learned today while we were talking about Ozark that Ozark is in fact shot in Georgia. That makes uh, a lot of sense. Same difference, yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, I mean, it's not shot right. in Atlanta. You know, it's like it's it's rural Georgia. Same, same difference. Not too far from Atlanta, though, when you're talking about Lake Lanier. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, I look, the the top three are still the top three, I think. And in sort of the, uh, you know, Buddha, Buddha, Evelyn, uh, DeMar, DeMar or. Yeah. I mean, DeMar had a rough week, but, uh, you know, on, on the strength of his overall performance, we have said those three are the best three chefs for at least a month now. And yeah. that I just don't think there's been much deviation, even if one of them occasionally has a, a slip uh, for one particular cook. Yep. And look, as uh, exciting as the as the Sarah sort of renaissance has been 
Uh, I, like I said, I think she's got some, some work to do to catch those guys. The consistency uh, just isn't there. And, and I, I would also add to the DeMar point, like, you know, the the whole challenge started with him being the only one who had never gone fishing before. And I think that was reflected in the way he chose to to do the fish, right? Yeah. Yeah, although I've, I don't, I'd have to imagine they're serving some fish in virtue pretty regularly. No, of right? course. It's not that he's never served fish, but it's that he – I think because he sort of started at this deficit of experience, his his approach to the challenge was very much like, well, you know, I want to make sure I put the fish forward, so I'm going to, like, sort of simplify things around the fish. And, you know, as a result, he, like, didn't season it enough. And, and you know, seasoning is not an issue for DeMar, <laughs> generally yeah. speaking. So, like, I think he made uncharacteristic mistakes because he sort of felt like a fish out of water, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> um let's uh let's go from there oh you know the one thing i want to add actually um everybody was like freaked out about cooking for daniel balud right but never heard it's oh i, I i'm familiar uh he, he is a legend but it it seemed like the the guy that owned the restaurant was much tougher as a judge was it like <laughs> Daniel Balud, generally really speaking, some of those guys. <laughs> yeah, he was really nice and and largely agreeable. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, the guy who owned the restaurant was definitely the harsher critic, but he wasn't at the judges' table, so uh, you know. Yes. Yeah. Good. It probably it's probably good for them. Um, all right. Um, we should do homework. Yes, sir. What do we got this week? We've got uh, the kids in the hall are back. Do you want to okay. cover this? Because I did not realize you were a massive Kids in the Hall fan. So I'm a massive fan of the Kids in the Hall film Brain Candy. Um, I am a eh, enough of a fan of the Kids in the Hall sketch comedy that I would like to see what they are doing at the ripe ages of whatever the hell ages they are now. Um, I will say, just on site, I find them to be among the funniest groups of comedians I have ever watched. Like there is just something about those dudes standing together that kind of makes me giggle. Um, so that is an advantage they have going in. Yeah. Well, and the, the buzz on the show has been very good on this, uh, this season. Yeah. And they're I smart. Noticed, you know, I have faith in them. I have noticed some, uh, Kids in the Hall fans uh, raising their hands in my life that I didn't, you know, you didn't really know were Kids in the Hall fans before. And you were, oh, you too, huh? All right, you're in. So excited about that. There's also a fair amount of buzz about Conversations with Friends, uh, which is a Hulu limited series. Uh, the source material is a book from the same person who wrote Normal People. I think it's going to maybe have man. some. I, like, I don't, I guess I, well, I'm just glad that. Uh, you're my podcast partner because I don't – I if I hadn't been watching Under the Banner of Heaven and seen the sort of still for it, I don't know that I would have heard of this. So, like, mm. I believe you about the buzz, but I'm so disengaged from buzz <laughs> that I need I need you to be – like, it's a good thing we have you as the buzz expert. I'll be your, I'll be your buzz meter. Yeah, yeah sure. exactly. Okay. Exactly. By the way, uh, and, speaking of loving you as a podcast partner, uh, we didn't do anything special, but I feel like we should at least mention that this is our 300th 
Well, I mean, uh, technically, I think we did some extras here and there, the half episodes and whatnot. But but by label, this is episode 300 of the toy department, which uh, feels incredible and really brings to mind for me the specific picture of the two of us sitting in a very, very small studio in a building on Hawthorne Street in San Francisco uh, many years ago. Doing like 10 minute podcast. Doing 10 minutes for the bone, man. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Uh, crazy it's turned into this. I, the the person who should be acknowledged as incredible is anyone who's still here for 300 episodes. Thank, thank you. <laughs> that is the truth. Well, and and specifically any of you who who are not uh, literally uh, blood related to us. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> really, an achievement for those of you who just made the decision to listen to this for this long. Uh, and I, you know, I'm I. Uh, I even though we've put a, a tremendous deficit of uh, work into the actual development or popularization of this podcast, I'm I'm pretty proud of of some of what we've done. I'm yeah, I'm I'm proud of the pods. I do I do you know sometimes it's uh, it's unfortunate that we have other jobs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, oh, so we should say you know if anybody wants to uh, hire the two of us full time to do this podcast. At least one of us is interested, so uh, give us a shout. <laughs> Deal. Deal. Uh, there is one more item for the homework. We're doing uh, the, the – we have reached the midpoint of the second half of the final season of Better Call Saul. Yeah. I got that I, right? Like, and I would say to everyone, and I, as we just discussed, Hollywood is listening, um, you don't have to do this. Just call it another season if you want or don't, but the whole – mid-season finale like we don't i'm excited every monday you know i don't need you to gin up my desire to watch this show i feel like this is a and c going this is our last like thoroughbred <laughs> like leaving leaving the barn we're just trying to hold on to it as long as we I can i guess but you know almost every thoroughbred is the last thoroughbred at some point and then like you either make another one or you don't that's that's television so you know just uh, just and that's again if you want to make it a season finale and call the one then just tell me you're giving me another season in a month and a half great i'm fine with that but like the whole playing with i don't know just why are we overcomplicating this yeah that's but fair. also i'm excited to talk more about better call saul because this season is a real doozy man yeah and maybe we'll talk some basketball next week. We haven't had a chance to do that yet either. Yeah, so. we should. But obviously, we do not have time. I believe we have surpassed the 90-minute mark. Yeah, let's get the hell out of here. Bye. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The door is closed. The light's out. Butter's getting hard. The eggs are cooling. And the jello is jiggling. So long, everybody. And do me a favor. Have yourself a tremendous evening.